think could be easily said his faith was uh, shaken or weak. There were times he had some doubts and concerns, and he was very transparent with the Lord. And by the way, we ought to always be transparent with God because He already knows our heart. I don't know why we think we can hide things from Him sometimes. But he, he is very forthwith with Christ or with God, and He comes to Him and He asks Him two questions, things He did not understand. And God showed Him in His answers, the just shall live by His faith. You don't have to understand, we just need to trust. And uh, we, uh, we made a statement this morning in what I think is one of the great overlying truths of the book of Habakkuk is that even though we may not be able to understand by sight, we need to learn to trust Him by faith. And what a wonderful truth there is. Uh, if you've never read through, it's only three chapters. You can read it probably in maybe 20, 30 minutes, even thoughtfully if you're taking your time. Chapter 3, I think, is one of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture regarding the majesty and the praise of Almighty God. As Habakkuk turns a full circle from doubting and having his faith shaken to having absolute trust in the Lord Jesus and trusting God to be His source and His strength. And uh, what a wonderful book. If you miss Sunday School, uh, I would encourage you to maybe take some time to watch it online. And uh, I've got a, a handful of the notes in the back on the table if you want to take some of the notes and study it yourself. Uh, be glad to get those to you. If we run out, I'll make a few more. But... Um, uh, it kind of went along with the song we just sang. I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know He holds my hand too. And so I'm going to walk beside Him because even though I may not know the way, and He may only show me a step or two at a time, I know that He knows the way, and I can trust in Him. And to know that His way is always perfect, and His way is always right. And uh, while we may not understand that, and and you know, aren't we prone to that as humans? To question that? Lord, I don't think this is the right way. Uh, I went and picked up a new dog yesterday. And uh, thank you, Miss Mary. That's the best response I've ever gotten in preaching right there. Wow, that's like revival just broke out. Got a new dog yesterday, and uh, he's... Uh, learning the house and learning uh, myself and John. There actually two days ago we got him, and um, and uh, there are times that he wants to go a certain way, and I know nope, that's not a good way for him. And he's learning. He's learning to trust when I walk him that hey, that's not a good way to go. And it's amazing, isn't it, that sometimes animals have more sense than we do as humans. They uh, they learn to trust their master far more than you and I oftentimes learn to trust the Lord. If we know and we do from Scripture that God's way is always right, that it is always the best way, why do we have such trouble trusting it sometimes and going that way? Let's look in Matthew chapter 5. We've been dealing with the Sermon on the Mount, and I have thoroughly enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed going through and studying the Beatitudes and... uh, we finished those last week, and this week we're going to begin a section of the Sermon on the Mount. By the way, this particular sermon is the longest sermon recorded in Scripture that the Lord Jesus Christ preached. And uh, He preached it to His disciples and those that were earnestly seeking to follow Him, were willing to pay a price. They weren't just the common multitude that 
oftentimes would follow after Christ just to see what was uh, the next thing new that was going to be done. But these are folks that were willing to, to give up things. They gave up their boats and their nets, gave up their families. When Christ went up into the mountain, they climbed the mountain after Him to go uh, sit at His feet and to listen to Him teach. And I will say this, that any time we decide to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just a, a casual observer of Him, but a disciple, there will be some cost involved. There will always be. We at the onset need to say, you know, I'd far rather have what God has for me than the things that this may cost me. I love the Apostle Paul over and over several times in some of his epistles. He refers to all of the things that he had at his disposal. Some of the upbringing he had, some of the advantages in life, even some of the perhaps wealth, I believe, that he came from a fairly wealthy family. He said, I count all those things put down. He said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And he used a particular phrase, even the fellowship of His suffering. What does it mean to fellowship? To have time with each other, to experience the same occasion, the same things together. When he talks about the fellowship of His suffering, that's not something we talk about very often. But Paul said, I'd rather even suffer for Christ than the things that this world had to give. Our world is a very dark place, the world that we live in. God made it perfect. It wasn't dark to begin with, and there was not problems with it to begin with. But when man sinned, we tainted creation. It's been corrupted. Because of sin, death entered into the world, the Bible says. In fact, the Bible tells us in Genesis that God created the heavens and the earth. He uses that word earth. It's going to be very important as we look into our passage this morning. When we come down to verse number 13 of Matthew chapter number 5, Jesus teaches here and He says, Ye, and I like the way He words that, ye, He doesn't say I am, He says ye are the salt of the earth. But if, he, if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. We're going to spend most of our time today on verse 13. I'm going to allude a little bit into verse 14, because next week, Lord willing, we'll be in that passage. But he uses two very, very vivid illustrations. Again, remembering who he's preaching to at this point. He's not preaching to the lost. He's preaching to His disciples. He's teaching them some things. And He uses some illustrations, two of them specifically. One of them is that they are salt. The other one that Lord willing will study next week, that they are light. But He changes the wording as He gives these illustrations and He says, ye are the salt of the earth. But as he gets to verse 14, he changes it up and says, Ye are the light of the world. It's interesting that when God created the heavens and the earth, it was not the heavens and the world, it was the heavens and the earth. In fact, if you hold your place there for a minute, turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter number 6. And we're going to come right back here, but I want you to see this in Genesis chapter number 6. That there is a corruption that sin brought 
to all of creation, not just to the soul of man. This world has been corrupted because of the sin, so much so that we've learned on Wednesday nights that there's going to come a point where God will bring judgment by fire upon this earth. And He will have to create a new heaven and a new earth as a result of the corruption of man's sin. As we get to Genesis chapter number 6, uh, we're going to look down in verse number... Uh, let's do verse number 1. We'll read down through uh, about verse number 5 or 6, somewhere in that range. And it came to pass, when, the men began, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, that daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all that they, which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children unto them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Now, we could say that at this point, the creation of man had uh, kind of grown and reached a pinnacle to some degree as far as what the physical part of things would be. These are men that are great men. They're mighty men. They are men of renown physically. They are men of renown intellectually. Uh, these are, are very uh, great men. But notice what the Bible says in verse number 5, "...and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually." And it repented the Lord uh, that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him at His heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. And we find a stark contrast in Genesis chapter number 6. That, now, and think about this for a moment. Because the, the problem with man... Uh, and, and the destruction of man was not because of uh, his inability to be a great thinker, uh, to be an innovator, to be uh, uh, moving forward and progressing maybe technologically uh, in knowledge and in sciences and all of these areas. It was not because he was becoming more frail physically. These men were men of renown. They were giants in the land in those days. These were men that were mighty men. It was not because they didn't know how to farm, and it wasn't because they didn't know how to build cities and, and all of these things. The thing that brought the destruction of man was their character. In fact, if you'll look down through history, you'll find that all of the great peoples of history, those that have been world uh, uh, empires and world powers, all of them, without fail, have had their destruction not because they did not know how to live in society, not because they did not know how to make things and innovate and learn sciences and become progressing in the life of things of this earth, but all of them met their destruction by their problem with character in their nation. The... the, the uh, sense of morality, the right and wrong. We found, as we've studied the Old Testament, how many times two specific things were the downfall of not only the nation of Israel, but even some of their enemies. And that was because of idolatry, which soon led to adultery. And because of those two main sins, and the fact that their morals became very loose, 
They were in the downward spiral of destruction. And so I want us to understand this, that in our sinful condition, in our what the Bible refers to as the natural man, we are, we are at best causing this world to decline and to erode uh, in morals. Uh, in every aspect, we find that there is a declension, there is a, a, a declining of the morality of man. We are not becoming better and better. Man is not inherently good. We are inherently sinners. And because of that, there is a a caustic, eroding effect that takes place in society and the world as a whole. I was watching an interview just a few months ago of a a person that... And why in the world anybody would give credence to the opinion of somebody in Hollywood, just because they have their name on a movie, makes them some brilliant mind of some sort. I don't understand that. Uh, I'll be real frank with you. Why we would take the word of a politician in many cases, does not just because they got elected to office, does not make them a great mind. Nor is it going to lead us to the point of truth. We can listen to all of the philosophies of man and what they think is right, and the, the, the problem is, the source is flawed. There's only one source of truth that we know to be impeccable, to be without error, and to be infallible, and that is the Word of God. And so we're living in a world where I was watching this interview, and they were talking about some of the achievements that had been made here in the United States of America with regards to legalizing and the acceptance of, and they were going through a list of things. They talked about, well, look at how we are progressing as the humankind that we are. This is the progression of man. We are becoming more and more. Boy, look at how we have arrived in the human race. We are now allowing these types of perversions. They started listing some of them. Uh, the uh, the LGBTQ, whatever other letters they have out there. They were talking about how that now that this is accepted, we have, as mankind, advanced somehow. This is their mindset. They, they look about the, the fact that we are uh, legalizing a lot of uh, the, the drug culture and the things that would harm men and families and tear apart uh, families and children from their parents. And they were saying, we are making advances in the human race, because we're, we're becoming more acceptable and more tolerant of these things. And I tell you that man left to his natural state will have a, 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 an eroding, a corrosive effect to the perfectness of creation that God made, to the morality that God established for mankind. I uh, went to the doctor last Monday. I go once every four years, whether I need to or not. Don't like going to the doctor's. I will now be going much more often because of what I found out. One of the things was, he said, your, your blood pressure is, is way, 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 way beyond what it should be. Uh, he said, you're not getting to a dangerous point. You're there. And it scared me. I'll be honest with you. I came home worried. I've got three kids. One of them still living at home been praying that some woman would take him and marry him off sometime and get him out of my home. But I'm worried about it. And, you know, I didn't just worry about it and then say, well, oh well, I'll just keep living the same way I did. I went home that night. I opened up the refrigerator, pulled the trash can open. 
open up the pantry, pull the trash can over. Went out shopping the next day, spent an hour, took forever reading labels. Because there's an element in the food that the doc says, I have to stay away from. It's called sodium. Sodium is an interesting thing. I've, I've done some research on it this week. I, I have a, a vivid interest in it at this point in my life. And it's interesting that this teaching it was the time, this week was the time for this, because this whole week I've studied sodium and looked up things on sodium. Sodium by itself is, is very caustic. It's an acid. In fact, if you ate sodium just by itself, pure sodium, it'd kill you. It's a poison. In fact, it's very volatile and left in its natural state. It can spontaneously combust just sitting in air. It's a terrible, terrible element that it has a corrosive effect. It's got an acid to it that is highly corrosive. You get it on the chemistry tables, and it'll eat through most all of these chemically resistant things that they use for tabletops because sodium is horrible. But when you mix it with another element, Chloride. It takes a positive ion. I'm not giving you a chemistry lesson today, but it takes a positive ion and it robs it from the chloride and brings it over into the sodium and it makes what we refer to as table salt. It's not the salt that's bad for you. It's the sodium that's bad for you. Too much sodium that you get built up in your body. What happens is this ion, this positive ion from the chloride comes over to the salt and it changes its inner structure. It is now something that once was poisonous, once was caustic, once had a, 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 an effect of, of eating through things, and it now makes it safe for human consumption. And it allows there to be even some beneficial things from salt. Isn't it wonderful that in our natural state, uh, not wonderful that we were in a natural state, we were that way, but we were the problem. We were the ones eroding the, 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 uh, the morality of man and, and this perfect uh, earth that God created initially. Because of the sin of man, uh, we've had this, this terrible uh, uh, effect of causing the world to degrade and to erode in morality. It's becoming worse and worse, the Bible says. But when something else is introduced to our lives, the Lord Jesus Christ, it takes us from being a caustic, eroding effect on this earth to being something that is beneficial. Don't tell me that Christ, in reaching, uh, reading this or t- preaching this, didn't know exactly what He was saying when He said, Ye are the salt of the earth. And when there is something that comes to live inside of us, we call it the Holy Spirit of God, when we trust Him as our Savior, we don't, we don't just become uh, uh, modified we become transformed. There's something new about us. Now there's something beneficial to it. And in this salt, it's got some amazing things. It has a preserving effect in the areas of the things that it touches. If you ever go to preserve things, a lot of times you'll find them in salt. You go to the store, you read the canned goods. Trust me, I've been there all week this week trying to find green beans that don't have sodium in them. You know why? Because they put salt in it to preserve them. It has a preserving effect. Do you know that salt has a a purifying effect? My my middle daughter Reagan this week she called me up Monday and she's like, Dad, I got a bad sore. I'm sorry, uh, Alyssa, my oldest daughter. She said, Dad, I got a sore throat. I've been sick ever since I got home from Tennessee, and 
And we talked for a few minutes. She says, Dad, i got to go. i got to gargle some salt water. You know why? Because it cleanses the throat. It gave some pain relief. Salt has a cleansing effect. Now, without the, without the thing that came into the sodium's realm and changed it and transformed it, it would have none of those effects. But isn't it wonderful that when you and I get saved, the Lord Jesus Christ sends His Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us. And He transforms us into something that now, instead of eroding the things of this world, instead of eroding the things that, that He had created and the, uh, the, the morality of man and the mindset of man and the sinful world that we live in, now we have a savoring, a preserving, and a purifying effect on it. And God comes to His disciples and He says to them, Ye are the salt of the earth. I made a statement in um, Sunday school this morning. I think sometimes we look at our past and we say, Oh, I can't do anything for the Lord. What, Pastor, you just don't know what my past is like. You know, I love what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark. I've heard various reasons and various things that Paul had to forget. You know what I believe? I believe that, that it... It was something that would weigh strongly, and I think it was something that the devil used daily in the Apostle Paul's mind to say, why are you out here preaching the Gospel, Paul? You went out here and murdered Christians. You went out here and arrested people for believing what you're now preaching. Who are you to stand up and preach the Gospel? I believe that would have a very detrimental effect on Paul if he wasn't able to forget it to put it behind Him. And I made this statement, there are so many times that when we get saved, because we do, there's no doubt, and I want to make sure we're clear on this, there is no doubt that we bear the consequences of the decisions that we have made in life. Don't blame those things on God. Don't say, well, God God knew it all. He knew I was going to be here. Well, there's a difference between God's foreknowledge and His making you do it. You chose it. It was your nature. It was, By the way, I did too in my life. It was my sinful condition that made those choices. But we oftentimes excuse why we are not a salty Christian, or maybe a Christian that maybe we're salt but we've lost our savor because of our past life. And we excuse it away. We say, well, you just don't know, Pastor, the life I have, nobody will listen to me now. Can I make a statement here that I think every single one of us needs to get a hold of? And I hope you'll write it down. I hope you'll memorize this. I hope you'll stick it in your brain. That while we will bear the scars and the consequences of our past, our walk, our daily walk right now in the present, ought not reflect our scars. They ought to reflect who we are now as we are transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. They ought to mark our present condition. What is my present condition? I've been redeemed. I've been bought with a price. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. All things become new. Yes, I bear the scars of my past. I've met people, they may have marks even physically on their body of of their past life. They may have uh, signs of of when they were in drugs or when they were in uh, sin and they were living life. And they may bear the marks of that throughout all the rest of their life. And that is their past. But can I tell you that our walk needs to reflect our present it needs to reflect what God has done for us. He 
came to reside inside of us, and we are no longer the sodium of this earth. We are now the salt of this earth. We've been made to be a preserving and a purifying effect. But I want you to notice that he, he doesn't dwell as much on this as I have this morning. What he tries to get across to his disciples is this. Notice what he says here, verse number 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but, notice this phrase, if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Notice it does not become unsalt. It doesn't quit being salt. Neither does living a carnal life cause us to lose our salvation. Once that difference has been made in us, we've been transformed, we are changed, and we don't go back to what we used to be. But there is the possibility of losing the savor of the salt. The the, the thing that causes that salt to have its preserving effect, the thing that causes that salt to have its purifying effect. You know what I have found in studying is when a salt loses its savor, it is always because, always, without exception, it is always because it has been contaminated by some other object. It's allowed other things to come in and do a work in it. And it loses its savor because of that. Can I tell you this? If there is no better argument in Scripture of why you and I need to be unspotted from the world, of why we need to live holy and pure and righteous and away from the things of the philosophy and the society of this day. It ought to be the fact that we are salt and we don't want to lose our savor. Whenever our salt is polluted, it loses its savor. It's interesting to me that when uh, Jesus was giving John some of the book of Revelation and he gets to the seventh church, the church at Laodicea, He makes a a phrase and a statement that oftentimes we've used to share with a lost person, but it's not written to lost people. And it is this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's written to save people, not lost. It's written to the church. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You know what the savor is in the Christian life? It is the truth of God found in His Word, and it is the power of the Holy Spirit to work it out in us. When those two things become deficient, we lose our savor. Can I tell you this? No Christian will lose his hunger and his thirst for the truth of God's Word and for his yieldedness to the Spirit of the Holy, Holy Spirit of God unless there is a defilement from outside. It is not the Christian's nature to lose their hunger and thirst for righteousness, unless there is a defilement that causes our appetite to cease. Salt, in order for it to have its effect in this earth, there are two things that need to happen. First of all, salt must have savor. It must have savor. If you and I are to do anything in this world 
that will help propagate the gospel, that will help this world to draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, the very first thing you and I must make sure of is that we have savor in our life. If our savor comes from the truth of God's Word and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to work that truth out in us, He causes that hunger and thirst for it in us. Gives us that illumination. If that's the case. And if those two desires are lost whenever we bring some corruptive force into our realm, then first and foremost, we need to make sure that we walk with God daily in His Word. In a walk in a relationship that is close to Him. To where we have His strength and His might. To where we have His knowledge and His understanding of truth. Because assault without savor, notice what the Bible says here in verse 13, it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot of man. Can I tell you, a society that is... I read a book a number of years ago. The title of it was Rushing Toward Gomorrah. For us to be in a world that is rushing toward Gomorrah, if you will, and us not make any impact on it, it's because we've lost our savor. There is no impact of that. It may be that we're well-intentioned, that we're sincere, that we have a desire to make a difference in this world. But too often we rely upon our thoughts and our mindset of things. Too often we say, well, I think... And then we go on to tell them what we think about right and wrong. Can I tell you this? Our, our opinion of what is right and wrong is never the standard. This book right here has all of what is right and all of what is wrong. And only as we know it and follow it and feast upon it, and I would say saturate our minds and our hearts with it, can we have the savor that is so necessary to our soul. And then to ask the Holy Spirit to give enlightenment and illumination of that truth in us and to be able to boldly tell it to other people. First of all, there needs to be a walk with God. If we're going to have savor, we must walk with God in this book in a walk with Him that is feasting and searching and hungering for righteousness. For the Holy Spirit of God to use us. The second thing we must do, we must keep ourselves unspotted from the world. We must live a life where we say, I'm going to bring into captivity every thought. All of these things. It's interesting that when when the time of Noah came, we read in Genesis chapter number 6, it says that the imaginations of the heart of every one of those people were only evil continually. And let me tell you this, even in a Christian's life, if we allow those thoughts to remain unchecked and we don't bring them into captivity of God's Word and His truth, if we don't ask for the Holy Spirit to help us in our thought life and in our heart and in who we are on the inside, we will never have our Savior. Savior. Isn't it interesting? The Lord Jesus Christ sits down in the top of the mountain. He brings His disciples come to Him. He's teaching them how to be disciples. And the very first thing He deals with, the very first three attitudes that He, the beatitudes that he gives them, are dealing with what they are inside. Why? Because they cannot be the salt with savor unless this is right. 
Everything Christ has done from the beginning of this message has built a foundation to make the statement, Ye are the salt of the earth. For if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It's thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot of men. In order for salt to make a difference, it must have its savor. So we need to, we need to feast upon the truth of God's Word. We need to keep ourselves unspotted by the world. We need to be yielded to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. I'll tell you this, if we're yielded to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God, it will help keep us unspotted from the world. The Bible tells us in Psalm 119 that the Word of God will keep us from sin. Our yieldedness to the leading of the Holy Spirit will help us stay unspotted from the world. And then we need to make sure that not only do we have our savor, but in order for salt to make a difference. And this is probably where we as Christians fail more often than not. In order for salt to make a difference, it first of all must have savor. Secondly, it must come in contact with that which it's trying to purify and that which it's trying to preserve. It's got to come in contact with it. You keep the salt in the cupboard. Those of you that do preserves and try to make meat last, you keep the salt away from it, it's going to rot, isn't it? In order for that to be preserved, in order for that to be Season, in order for that to be purified, the salt has to come in contact with it. There are a lot of times that we make excuses, do we not, for not coming in contact with the world? Now, I'm not talking about loving the world or being a part of the world. I'm talking about coming in contact with them. I'm talking about reaching out to them with the truth of the gospel. Don't worry about your past scars. God has done a transforming work in you. You have a truth that will do a transforming work in that person. And it is our responsibility to give it to them. God has given us the most precious thing that He has in this world. He's given us the message of the gospel. He's placed it into our hands and He says, I want you to do this work. The most precious thing He has. How do we treat the most precious thing that the Lord Jesus Christ has? How do we treat this gospel message? Oh, we've enjoyed the fruits of it. We've enjoyed the taste of that. But what about others? What about others? So we make excuses. Well, I'm not a people person. Or I'm afraid or I'm scared. I'm not able to do that. I don't, I don't know enough Scripture. Well, that can be fixed by getting some savor. Amen. Get in the Word of God and get some savor about us. We'll know the Bible well enough to tell somebody. But can I tell you this? In chapter, number, or chapter 5, verse number 13, I want you to notice the very first word of the verse. Jesus, get the picture, is teaching, and His disciples are sitting in front of Him, and He says this, Ye. 
He didn't look at one of them and say, you are. The rest of them, I know you guys can't really do it, but, but you know, Peter, you got a, you got an outgoing personality. You're going to be the one. No, he didn't say that. He looked at all of them from all different walks of life, all different talents, all different personalities, some shy and timid, some bold. He said, ye, ye are the salt of the earth. He didn't say you might be. He didn't say you can be if you want to be. He said, you are. You're sitting here today, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're salt. You're either savory salt or you're salt that's lost its savor. But you are salt. In order for salt to make a difference, it's got to have savor. And it's got to come in contact. Our willingness to come in contact with others, to be salty, it should never be based on our personality our temperament. It should not ever be based on our talents. It should always be based on the fact that God's given us His grace. And as a result, we need to take that grace and share it with others. God not only saved us, but the Bible says He predestinated us to be conformed to the image of His Son. To be a salt that is a savory salt. The Lord Jesus Christ, in perfect example, kept Himself unspotted from the world. Boy, if any man did, He did, didn't He? But He also came in contact with sinners. So much so that they, He was accused of being a friend of publicans and sinners. So much so that when those who deemed themselves to be righteous and would not come to Him, He said, then I'll go out into the highways and the hedges. I'll go out into the lanes and the, the streets and I'll find some. I may have to go down all the way down to sinners. The truth of the matter is He was always coming for us, wasn't He? The Bible said He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then He tells His disciples, you're the salt of the earth. You used to be good for nothing. You used to have a corrosive effect. You used to cause damage to the morality of mankind, but when that thing came inside of you called the Holy Spirit, when we trusted Him as our Savior and He did His transforming work, He now made you into salt. You need to have a purifying effect. You need to have a preserving effect. And that only comes from God's Word. How in the world can a man be purified? We don't have the ability. But God's Word does. It can purify every man. You're the salt of the earth. Are we salty? Have we lost our savor? Maybe we have savor, but maybe we've just been keeping ourselves on the shelf in the cover. Are we coming into contact with that which needs the preservation, the purity of God's truth? Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful not only that You've given us Your Word, but Lord, how perfect and wonderful it is. How it teaches us so vitally so many things.
Lord, I pray that You'd help us today to learn from this first of the similitudes, these illustrations that You've given to us 